Good morning, Wednesday afternoon. Good morning. Good morning. It's good to see everyone. We're glad to have some returning faces we haven't seen in a while. I'm glad to have some visitors. Uh, we are glad you are here. Thank you for being here with us as we worship God this morning. A couple of things. There is a handout that's been on the back uh, little stand as you come in. It has today's notes. Things that will show up on the screen in English and in Spanish. So if you would like one of those now, you can, there's not any left, probably didn't print enough or something. Uh, but if you want one of those, you can raise your hand, have to get one, get one as you leave. You just want the ability to look at what the message was today and hopefully think about it, look it over uh, during the days and weeks to come. So get one of those. Robbie has also asked that I call your attention to what she's going to hand out over here at the door as we leave. These are uh, little leaves. It says, I am thankful for, and then there's a space. Uh, she's asking each of us that uh, can and will to take one of these and just write a little small note on it because we're going to get these put on some trays over at a nursing home to give to some residents. And so it can be, I am thankful for fall colors. I am thankful that God loves me or whatever you want to put, something you, that you and they can be thankful for as we uh, seek to provide a service to those who need, need some encouragement, so be sure to think about that. Uh, this morning, we're going to talk about reconciliation. Reconciliation. A number of years ago, a man took out a newspaper advertisement. Newspapers, for you young folks, they were the papers. <laughs> uh, newspaper advertisement, at least they tried to be a web page, you know, classified ad or something. The newspaper advertisement said this. George, meet me at, at the square on Martin Street at 8 a.m. tomorrow. All is forgiven. The next morning when he went there, there were more than a dozen men at the square, all named George, all seeking forgiveness. Now when you think about that, that's sort of sad. Sure, one of these was likely the, the George that uh, the man was wanting to meet. But there were at least 11 or 12 others who desperately wanting to be forgiven for something, and that wasn't the person they were hoping to see. Reconciliation, it is always, always a good thing. Always a good thing. What does reconciliation mean? It means to restore friendship or harmony or to restore a relationship to what it was compared to what it is now. Um, what's involved in reconciliation? Well, I'm going to ask for some help. We're going to have some help. And since Thurl was kind enough to uh, be back, I can get him to come up. You know, he had sitting on the front row. He's always my, uh, my prop. So come on up, Thurl. We're going to act out a few things. It won't be bad acting because uh, I won't be trying to act really. But let's, let's, let's talk about reconciliation. In the first place, you've got to have two or more people that kind of like each other, right? You know, and, and they love each other. You know, George is my buddy. I'll do whatever. Uh, George. You've been gone for so long, I forgot. <laughs> George was on the previous slide. <laughs> Got a hard day already. Thurl, Thurl's my buddy. Love Thurl. We're friends. We're, we're buddies. Help each other out. Need something? Right? The starting point here is togetherness. We've got a relationship. It's a good relationship. Right? That's what everybody wants, I, I would hope. That's what we want. Right? But a problem happens. 
one person does something that hurts or harms somebody or something that breaks the relationship. Sometimes both parties, you know, both people in the relationship cause that. But let's assume it's just one for now. You know, I'm over here. Now when, when George, when Thurl shows up, you know, I start throwing things at him. Maybe I save leftover soup each week. Whenever I see him, he's going to get pretty upset with me pretty quickly, right? And by being mean or ugly to Thurl, then I'm going to break this relationship. He's not going to want to be close to me. We're going to have a distance now between us, hopefully physically, so he can dodge the soup. But also, I'm sure from a relationship standpoint, because we're not close like we used to be. Now, who broke the relationship? In this example, crazy example, yes, it would be me. I'm the one that did it. And so if there was like, I can't come close to you. Every time I come close to you, you're going to throw soup on me. Now, to restore the relationship, what's it going to take? Well, for one thing, I need to quit throwing soup on me. But I also would need to acknowledge that I caused the problem and to, you know, say that it was my fault. I don't know why I started throwing soup at you. You know, and, and so I'm sorry. Right? Now, don't say okay yet. <laughs> I would need to acknowledge that I caused the problem and that that's without that, right? Suppose Thurl wants to come and forgive me. On his own. I haven't said I'm, I did wrong. I haven't done anything. He wants to show up. He comes. Hey, Gene, I want to talk to you. Whoosh. I throw soup on him. You know, and every time I throw soup on him, he, he said, but, but Gene, I want to talk. More soup. You know, it's not going to work unless I acknowledge, first of all, I stopped doing what I was doing. And I acknowledge the problem. Right? And ask, I'm sorry. The next step would be forgiveness. And it really, truly is only possible once Whoever did the thing acknowledges that they did something that caused the problem, right? And it's tough if the other person hasn't changed. He may be wanting to forgive me. He's a really nice man. He's a great person. He wants to forgive me, and I throw soup on him every time he gets close. It's going to be really tough because if it's been a week since I threw soup on him, you think, oh, Gene was having a rough six months throwing the soup at me all this time. So I'm going to go and forgive him, and he comes over, and I throw more soup on him. Only, however, when I have admitted that I caused the problem and I ask him to forgive, can he forgive me? Only then is it possible for reconciliation. No more soup. No more soup. Right? It'll be cold pasta. Thank you, thank you, Phil. Thank you, Phil. So that's the way it works. That's the way it works. And many times, let's face it, many times it'll be between people who are close friends. One friend gets aggravated, maybe because of circumstances outside, not really related to the other person at all, and they'll snap, or they'll say something, or they'll just get mad about something, and it can break that relationship. Sometimes they don't get restored. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes it can happen in a family. Sometimes it can happen, many times, between a husband and wife. Husband and wife, and it's really difficult to restore, to reconcile without an admission of, I, I'm sorry, I, I was wrong. And that's the, the first step. It doesn't mean necessarily that it can be a complete reconciliation, but it requires that for there to be any real opportunity 
for forgiveness and reconciliation. Now, with that in mind, right, but we just try to act out, uh, I told you it was poor acting, but we just try to act out, let's think about that in terms of our relationship to God. Okay? First, there was closeness between us, humanity, and God. Right? There was closeness. I mean, in Genesis chapter 3, 8, they, this is Adam and Eve, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. But don't go assuming here that God has legs. Okay? Language here is being used to describe something that's not really describable. The point is, is that God was close to Adam and Eve. He was in the garden, wherever that was, and Adam and Eve were near to God. They had a very, very close relationship. We sing a song like this, right? And he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me that I am his own. Uh, I walk, you know, I mean, we, we have songs like that. That's what we want with God. Adam and Eve had that with God. There was closeness between them and God. They were used to his presence, his nearby presence in the garden. However, that actually manifested itself. Then, Adam and Eve created a problem. And the problem was sin. Back in chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, after God had created Adam and Eve, he told them, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden. What? Of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat for the day you eat of the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. God gave them one rule. One rule. Now, what was this tree of the knowledge of good and evil? I don't have any idea. Now, maybe it was named knowledge of good and evil because if they violate that rule, they understand I did something I shouldn't have done. Maybe the knowledge came from simply violating the rule. I don't know if this was a tree with, you know, I, I don't know what it was. But God said no. And what happens? He did it first. He was fooled by the, the serpent, as the story is told. Adam is not described as being fooled. He is not described as being uh, confused by the serpent. Every indication given is that Adam knew what he was doing. Eve got hoodwinked, right? She was fooled. She was deceived. Adam did it with his eyes open. Both of them did it. And that sin, that choice of doing what they wanted to do instead of what God had told them to do, created a gulf, a separation, just like we were talking about earlier. The problem is, of course, each and every one of us and every single person who has ever lived has done the same thing. Look at Romans 5.12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, Adam and Eve, came into the world originally, right, through one choice they both made, and death entered through sin, and so death spread to all because of all sin. Now, God had said in the day you eat of it, you will surely die. But Adam and Eve kept walking around, and they kept kicking for a long time after they ate of the tree. So in terms of physical death, physical death did not come upon them the moment they did what God told them not to do. Sin doesn't always kill you immediately. Depending on what your choice is, it could. It could kill you. But in their circumstance, sin did what it does to all of us. It separated them from God. This death, you might call a spiritual death. It's a death in the sense of being separated from God, 
where you're not going to live with God forever because you're not close to God anymore through your own choices. Uh, I'm looking around. I see roughly 40-ish people in here. And if I had a mirror, I would hold it up. I would say every single person I'm looking at falls into this group. self Every single one of us have done something we chose to do when we knew it wasn't the right thing to do. Death spread you all because all of us sinned. And as Romans 3, two chapters earlier, Paul said, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, a two-month-old baby can't do this. Somewhere between a baby that's two months old, not making any choices at all, and a 30-year-old, we get to the point where I understand good and evil. I understand I really shouldn't do this. I'm going to do it anyway. Nobody's going to see me, so I'm going to do it anyway. So humanity was close to God, but we created the problem on our sin. It's like Thurl and I had been close. I created the problem through my actions. And just in the same way that I could not get close to Thurl again without making amends and confessing. Now that I could do, right? Maybe I, I bring a thorough, not suit, but I bring him something, a present, and say, you know, I'm so sorry. You can do that. Sometimes if you have an interpersonal thing with a husband and wife or best friends, you can bring flowers, you can you know, buy a present, you can do that all the time, and obviously you're not really sincere, trying to get all that kind of stuff. You need to understand that. But you can make amends sometime by doing things. What's the problem? You can't do that. To heal them reach with God that I created. I can't close the distance between where I am. You cannot close the distance between where you are and God by doing things. You can't pray all day, seven days a week for a year. That ain't no good. You can't visit sick people and never sleep. You can't feed the hungry. You can't give water to the thirsty. You cannot, I cannot, close the gap that I created by doing things. The only hope to close that gap was for God to do something himself. It's really bizarre because I created the problem. I created the distance between God and myself. I can't fix it. I cannot fix it. We as people like to fix things. Some of us are better at it than others, but we see something broken, we like to fix it. I can't fix this by myself. God had to fix it. And as we read earlier, he did just that. With John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, God loved the world so much that he gave his only son, whoever believes in him, should not perish, but have eternal, everlasting life or eternal life. God sent his son while, as Paul says, we were yet sinners. We were still in rebellion to God, still doing what we wanted to do. I don't care what you're telling me to do. I'm going to do what I want to do. God sent his son at that moment to allow each and every one of us to have the opportunity to be saved and live with God by believing and understanding what Jesus did. Well, there's a couple of verses here from 2 Corinthians chapter 5 I want us to think about for a moment. All this, God sending Jesus, Jesus living and dying, 
God resurrecting Jesus, God sending the good news that you don't have to live in sin, you don't have to be separated from God. All of this is from God, who through Christ, who through Jesus, reconciled the world to himself. I'll stop right there. In the example of being thorough, the reconciliation occurred because I came back over to Thurl and said, I'm sorry. And that may have been enough. Plus, I quit throwing soup on him, right? That may have been enough. Nothing would ever be enough to close that gap between God and me. God is the one. God is the one who brought me back to him. God closed the gap that I created. Through sending his son into the world, God reconciled us to himself. God never moved. God never left. I left God by doing what I wanted to do, just like Adam and Eve. And God reconciled the world to himself through sending his son to live and die for me. Notice the second part of this. And God gave us, that's people who are already God's family, God gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Some bigger words in there, but we are the ones now who are telling people, you can be reconciled to God. You do not have to live a life of sin. You don't have to be separated from God. You don't have to be facing a future where you die and you are not you don't have to stay there any longer. We have this ministry, this service of telling people, come back to God because he created the path where you can do that. In Christ, in Jesus, God was reconciling the world to himself. How? By not counting their trespasses, their sins, their choices against him. Remember, I'm the one who's been over here doing what I want to do. Making a long list if we're keeping accounts. Gene did this on Monday, 2 p.m. Gene did this Tuesday, 7.30 p.m. Keeping a long list of wrongs. He didn't look at my list of wrongs. He looked at Jesus having no wrong. He didn't even see me once my faith was in what Jesus did for me. That's the idea that on the day of judgment, those who were followers of Jesus want to see a list of a thousand sins a day or whatever it may be for each of us having to answer for them because Jesus already paid the price for all those mistakes I have made and the ones I will make. God reconciled us to himself by not counting, holding my wrongs against me. Jesus covered every single one of them. Again, he entrusted to us that message of reconciliation. That ought to be good news that I am not going to pay the price for my long list of sins that I have. I'm not going to have to answer for all the things that I did because God, through Jesus, wiped it clean. That's wonderful news. And we have this ministry, this message of reconciliation that we are to share to those who haven't heard it. Well, who heard it and just did not understand what it really means. God reconciles us to himself. And once we are reconciled with God, we have to live differently than we did before. 
I was over here again doing what I want to do, shaking my fist to God. I'm not really reconciled to God if after I say I'm coming back to Him, I go and do exactly the same thing. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. I've got to be different. He continues here in 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he, she, is a new creation. The old has passed away, the old and new has come. There's got to be a new me. There has to be a new me because understanding what Jesus did means that I'm going to live the way God wants me to live. Colossians 3 is one of my favorite little sections of the entire New Testament. Paul here says, If then you have been raised with Christ, if you have died to your old self and you have been raised to walk as a new person, if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, which are what? We talked about that, a lot of them here recently, fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, all these different qualities that I focus on instead of greed, lust, hatred, anger. There's a difference in what ought to describe me before and now, after. If you have been raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the things that are on the earth here below. For you have died. And your life is hidden with Christ and God. When I change my way of living, I die to the old me. The old gene is long gone. When does that happen? It happens when you understand what Jesus did, you decide to change your life to live for God, and you are immersed. You reenact that death, burial, and resurrection to be raised to walk in newness of life. Paul specifically says that in Romans chapter 6. When you are baptized, no magic in the water, that's simply where God says, when you go down, the old person never comes up again. And the one that comes up has got to be the new gene. It's got to be the new you. Can't be the old person anymore. You know, it's real popular these days to think and talk about zombies. You can't seem to turn on TV without seeing zombie shows. The zombies are all dead, and they even call them a funny name, right? They call them the undead. Well, zombies are things that have died. That's part of it. They're dead. Well, why on earth would I want to go dig up the old gene who's like a zombie? Have you seen those zombies on TV shows? I mean, they're nasty looking. All this kind of, they got all these kind of problems. I don't want to drag the old gene around. It should be the new gene. Leave the old gene in the ground because he's already dead. Leave him behind. There's so many people I know, myself included, from time to time, go and drag up a hand or an arm out of the ground because I don't, I don't remember that. Drag them up. They're dead. Leave them that way. Live like a new person. Verse 5, he says, put to death what is earthly in you. Leave that in the ground. Your anger, your hatred, all these things you did because you wanted to do. Put those things in the ground. Put them to death. And then put on these other qualities of love, joy, and peace. You've got to be different people. You have to be different people. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this. One died for all, and therefore all died. He died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but might live for him for whose sake died and was raised. Think about that for a minute. 
Jesus died, all of us should die with him. And what that shows us is that we might no longer live for ourselves because we die. And we would live for the one who died and was raised again to pay that price that all of us because of our own choices. That's a wonderful summary of the change Jesus can make and should make in each of our lives. The Christian is simply in Christ and we die for our old ways. In this newness of life, we have a new set of standards, a new way to live, a new meat is supposed to be in the here and now. In 2 Corinthians 6, the very next chapter, he says, For he says, In a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I helped you, God speaking. Behold, now, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. If you're not yet living for God, there's no better time than right now. Don't continue to be a dead person walking. Don't continue to have a life filled with doing what you want to do. Have your life changed to where you're doing what God wants you to do by loving God and loving your neighbor. Today's the day. You too can be reconciled to God. He waits for you. If there's any way we can be helpful to you this morning, please, please come as we stand.